Romans chapter 4, verse 1. Let's read that. What then shall we say that Abraham, our father, was found according to the flesh? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Can you say righteousness? Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly. Can you underline those four words? Who justifies the ungodly. His faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also describes the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. In verse 5, we see four words. Four words. Who justifies the ungodly? That is really the heart of the gospel message. If we don't understand these four words, we do not understand the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not know good news yet. How does Jesus save us? Jesus is our savior because he justifies the ungodly. If you look at it at first glance, it offends your natural sense of justice and qualification. Right? How can a righteous God make the ungodly godly? See, we live in a day when everyone is obsessed with qualifications. You go to school, you go to college, you study for good marks, you make sure you get trained in the best of institutions, masters, you take exams in order to qualify for whatever field of study or for the good job that you want, you want to be qualified. Even at a young age, today in school, students have been taught to take delight in studying hard, getting good marks, being the best students, doing well in extracurricular activities, so that they can be qualified to be the best students, qualified for scholarships or prizes. And that is why when we hear news of backdoor appointments, and unqualified people getting jobs in the government through corruption and nepotism and politics, our sense of justice is offended, our emotions are enraged, and people rise up in protest. Amen. See, there's a proverb that expresses this in chapter 17, verse 15. Proverbs 17, verse 15. God himself said this through Solomon. He who justifies the wicked and he who condemns the righteous are both alike an abomination to the Lord. While we're just reading, I just want to say hello to our online viewers. Welcome to church. Wherever you are from, God bless you as you listen. See, our moral sensibility is outraged when the wicked are allowed to go free. How many of you have heard of the Nirbhaya case? I believe it was in December 2012 when that girl was raped by six men in Delhi. Five of them were convicted, but the one who was the worst perpetrator was a few days short of 18 years while he committed a crime. And because of that, he was tried as a juvenile. And after three years, he was released. When he was 20 years old, he was released as a free man. 
So the court system allowed the wicked to go free, and that was such an outrage in media in 2015. When the wicked are allowed to go free, we consider it an abomination. God says so. It's an abomination to Him to say the wicked are right and the right are wicked. Then how can we reconcile this verse to what the heart of the gospel message is? God justifies the ungodly. Because that's the heart of the gospel message. In other words, God sets the guilty free. How many of you have struggled with guilt in your life? Amen. How can we understand this? How can it be right to contradict himself for God? Now, in order to understand this, we need to understand the true nature of man. And we need to understand the righteousness of God from God's perspective. See, this letter was written to a people who were trying by their works to earn the righteousness of God. Who were trying by their merit, by their morality to please God. Whenever we are trying by our own strength to please God, to be righteous before God, it always shows that number one, you don't understand yourself. You don't understand man and you don't understand God. Look at Romans chapter 3. Let's build a context here to understand this. Romans chapter 3 verse 10. So first we need to understand man. This is the point I want you to understand. Man can never be justified before God by his own works. Man can never be good enough to please God. We must understand that. Every religion, man is trying by the works, by the penance, by, by the piety to be right, to be saved. What does it mean? It means they don't understand themselves. God says in verse 10, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside, they have become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. Really? There's no one who does good? I know of people who feed people in the railway, railway stations. There are people who, who give away their entire earnings to some charity. There are people who take care of, of orphans. But yet God says there is no one who does good. That means what he's thinking and what we are thinking is miles apart. Amen. Look at Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So now we have to try to understand from God's perspective. See, we look from our perspective and this is man's viewpoint. Man's viewpoint is, if you are doing good things, you are good. If you are doing bad things, you are bad. That is man's viewpoint. So we judge based on external behavior. But God's viewpoint is different because God judges by His standards. God judges by His nature. And according to His nature, which is perfect, He's completely holy, He's perfectly just, there is no imperfection in Him. Judging by His standards on the earth, there is no one who is good. 
There is no one who is right. No one's good work can measure up to the goodness of God. And that's why he says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Amen. Hallelujah. And that's why we have to learn to have the wisdom of God in the way we interact with one another. We should not be fooled by external behavior because sometimes even Satan can transform himself into an angel of light. Amen. God does not judge by man's standards. He judges by his standards and God is absolutely perfect and holy and no one can be perfect and therefore no one is righteous but God himself. No one is holy but God himself. Can you say amen? So where is the remedy then? The remedy is in verse 21. The remedy is called the righteousness of God. Everyone say the righteousness of God. So first we understand man. Man cannot be righteous by his own works. He cannot be perfect by his own. He cannot be accepted by his own self. So the remedy is the righteousness of God. Verse 21. Let's read that together. One to three. But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe, for there is no difference. This is great news. This is amazing news. Especially when we realize we are inadequate, we are unqualified for the favors and the blessings of God. Paul says, there is a righteousness that is available for those who will believe in Jesus Christ. Can you say amen? Can you say hallelujah? And Paul says, you cannot earn it by your works. You cannot deserve it through your morality or your holiness. But it is available for everyone who trusts in Jesus. That's why he says in Romans chapter 4, verse 4 and 5, to the one who works, to the one who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. If you work for the government, at the end of the month, you get your salary. You're not going to go and say, thank you so much, government. You are so gracious. I got the salary. Oh, thank you so much. Do you say that? No. You make sure you count all the zeros so that the government did not cheat you. Why? Because when you give your time to the government, what you're getting back is not grace, it is debt. The government owes you money. And that's why we say, you deserve your pension. Right? Now, can we say that to God? Because sometimes our conversations have been so corrupted by religion. The Bible says, look at verse 5. To him who does not work. In other words, he is not trying to earn. He's not trying to deserve the blessing of God. He's not trying to deserve the gift of God. To him who does not work, but believes. He's not trusting in his own work. He's believing in him. In who? The God who justifies the ungodly. The Bible says, his faith, whose faith? Not God's faith, your faith, his faith, your simple trust in him is accounted. Everyone say accounted. 
for righteousness. That means God credits His righteousness in your account. The moment you believe in God, when you believe in Jesus and you are not trusting in your own works, you're not trusting in your church attendance, you're not trusting in your Christian service, you're not trusting in your holiness, you are not trusting in how good you have been your whole life, you're not trusting in how much you have given to the church, what crusades you have sponsored, you're not trusting in those things, you're trusting in Jesus alone. God says, you are righteous. He puts it into your account. But to the one who says, Oh, I've served for so long in this church. I deserve blessing. Oh, you've been deacon for 20 years. Surely you deserve God to heal you. Sometimes we use words like that, right? That's wrong. Even when my wife and I we went to Israel, many people said, Oh, you surely deserve it. No, we don't deserve it. There was nothing in us that deserved that trip. It was purely the grace of God. We have to be careful how we use our words. Does God owe me anything? No. Amen. But when I believe, I get everything. Can you say hallelujah? Amen. So that's the righteousness of God. The righteousness of God is there in justifying the ungodly by making the wicked righteous. By setting the guilty free. That is the righteousness of God. It's available for those who are not trying to impress God but just believing. Can you say amen? This is so opposite to human thinking and human sense of justice. Even in the church. Because our thinking has been corrupted by years of religion, bad theology, where we have been trying so hard to please God and we've been trying so hard to impress God by our works, our behavior, our giving, so that we can somehow qualify. Qualify for His love, His grace, His blessings. You know, many people used to tell me, you know, God called you because, because you were smart and because, because you're a good boy. They don't understand the grace of God. Amen. I put out a post recently about forgiving others and somebody commented, Pastor, we better all obey what you say else we will all end up in hell no matter how much we fast and pray. <laughs> I just could not like that comment. I'm thinking, how can I get it out of that place? Because that reveals the thinking. The thinking is coming out not of grace. Not, that person does not understand the gospel. You see, it's sad that in a place called Nagaland where there's majority Christians, people don't understand the gospel. Amen. See, let's look at Abraham's example. Because that's the example God uses here. The Holy Spirit uses the example of Abraham. How did God justify Abraham? Alright? Let's ask certain questions. So in order to understand this properly. How did Abraham live before God called him? How did Abraham live before God called him? If you look in Genesis chapter 12, verse 4 and 5, the Bible says, Abraham was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, 
all the possessions they had accumulated and the people they had acquired in Haran, and they set out for the land of Canaan and they arrived there. What does the Bible say about Abraham before God called him? All we are told is his age, name of his wife, that he had servants, that's it. We are told nothing about his character, nothing about his goodness, nothing about his religious convictions or his integrity. All that God said to him was, come out of the place of Ur, go to the place where I will show you, and Abraham believed and obeyed. That's it. Nothing is said about his personal goodness or righteousness. Was Abraham a righteous man before God called him? Was he an impeccable man of character before God called him? The Bible does not say that. For all that we know, he was a typical ungodly man worshipping idols before God called him. Number two, how did Abraham live after God called him? Was he blameless? Was he perfect? No. He was not wicked, but he was not perfect either. He was a mixture of faith in God and obedience towards God, but also flesh and weakness. That's what we see in his life. Three instances stand out. Two times, Abraham lied about his wife, Sarah. Once to the king of Egypt and once to King Abimelech. And the reason why he lied was because those two kings fancied Sarah. Even when she was old, she was beautiful because of God's grace upon her. They wanted to take her into their harem. And so Abraham was scared that they would kill him. And so he told Sarah to lie. He lied. The motivation was self-preservation. He was willing to compromise his wife, her integrity, her purity, so that he can save his bacon, save himself. A third instance is when Sarah asks Abraham to sleep with her mate, Hagar. So Abraham sleeps with Hagar, Ishmael is brought. When Ishmael is given birth, family problem starts. They're fighting now. Hagar is walking haughty around the house because he brought forth a child while Sarah is childless. So there was this two ladies in the house. You know how it can be sometimes. <laughs> so what did Abraham do? Do you know what Abraham did? He said, Sarah, you take care of it. Instead of being the man of the house and taking leadership and handling the situation, he just said, Sarah, you take care of it. And Sarah kicked out Hagar from the house. And when Hagar was out there crying, the angel of the Lord, Jesus came to Hagar and said, go back to Abraham. In other words, God restored Hagar back into the house because it was God's will for her to be there till such time that Ishmael is weaned. So Abraham did not handle himself with integrity and character even in this place. There was injustice to Hagar. So was he a man of impeccable character? No. But did he love God? Yes. Did he follow God? Yes. Was he a man of faith? Yes. But did he have something to boast about as Paul says? Did Abraham have something to boast? The answer is no. Could Abraham have said, you know, 
it was not hard serving Jehovah, but I've lived a God-fearing life. I've always done the will of God. I've suffered so much with my family, but we kept on worshiping. We kept on building altars. We kept on keeping the commandments. And that is why God blessed me. And God gave me cattle and land and gold and sheep and silver. That is why God blessed me. Could Abraham have said that and be justified? No. The Bible says Abraham had nothing to boast about before God. Then how did God justify Abraham? Well, chapter 4, let's go there and see verse 3. What does the scripture say? And the scripture in capital S, in other words, what does God say? What does God say? Abraham believed God. It was accounted to him for righteousness. Number one, Abraham simply believed. Can you say believed? He believed. When God said, leave your house and go, he believed. When God said, give your son Isaac, he believed. When God said, build an altar here, he believed. Whatever God said, he believed. He trusted in God with his whole life. And because of that, it was accounted. That means it was credited to Abraham that he is righteous. Sometimes when you put money in your bank account, you get an SMS. 1,000 rupees credited into this account, right? That's what happened. The moment Abraham believed, the righteousness of God credited into his spiritual account. And from that moment on, God looked at him. God considered him. God reckoned him as righteous, as justified. And that's what it means. God justifies the ungodly. This is the righteousness of God. It's a gift. But how can? How can? What is the foundation of this? The foundation of this, we must see in verse 23 and 24 and 25. How does God justify the ungodly? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Verse 24, being justified freely, everyone say freely, by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because in His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed to demonstrate, everyone says demonstrate, at the present time, His righteousness. How? Through the cross. The cross demonstrates the righteousness of God. That He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. God can make the ungodly godly. God can declare the wicked righteous. On the basis of this divine transaction that we see in verse 24 called redemption. He has purchased by the sacrifice and the death of Jesus Christ. The basis is this, the sacrifice. Something so powerful and so amazingly happened in the death and sacrifice of Jesus Christ that it is the foundation of billions around the world being justified before God. It is when God gave Jesus, the Bible says in verse 25, He set Him forth as a propitiation. In other words, as a sacrifice that pleased Him. 
A sacrifice that satisfied the wrath and the anger of God towards sin. Because God has to justify us in a just manner. And how did He do that? When Jesus died on the cross, He became sin. All our sin was put on Him. He did not become a sinner, but He took our sin. In other words, all the sin of humanity was credited into Jesus' account and His righteousness is credited into our account so that it becomes right and just for God to demonstrate His righteousness. So that verse 26, we can say God is justified and God is right to declare the ungodly righteous. It is not injustice. It is not just mercy alone. It is not, I am moral like you. No, it is not that. It was right. It was justified. It was justice. Because Jesus died in the place of the sinner. Jesus took divine justice on his own body on the tree. So that today we can say God is justified in declaring the ungodly godly. Can you say amen? That God is perfectly just in calling the wicked righteous. Because Jesus became sin. So that we can say God is the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. If you have faith in Jesus, He is your justifier. The one who declares you just. Who declares the guilty free. So the righteousness of God is this. Today, He treats the believer in Christ. Completely in grace. He treats us by grace and by grace alone. And His favors and His blessings and His healings are extended to the undeserving. If you feel like you are unqualified, then you are qualified. If you feel like you're going to qualify yourself, God says, okay, my hands are off. Try to qualify yourself as much as you can till it brings you to your knees. Amen. If you feel like I'm a sinner, I don't qualify, you qualify. Do you know that it's your sins that qualify you for the grace of God? Now that does not mean, then can I sin more? No. That's what Paul was accused of. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. How can I understand this properly so that I don't go out and start sinning more? All right, number one. Let's look at five points and we'll close here. Five things that justification does. Five things. You must write this down. Five things that justification does. Number one, forgive you of all your sins. Forgive you of all your sins, past, present, and future. Future sins are forgiven. Future sins. Future sins. Future sins! Past, present, and future sins are forgiven. Why? Jesus will die only once. His one death is enough for all sins of all humanity for all time. 
That's what justification means. Forgiven of all sins, past, present, and future. Number two, justification means that you are declared righteous with the righteousness of God. That means you have the same righteousness as God. That is what we call good news. You are declared righteous with the righteousness of God. Not human righteousness. Not denomination righteousness. No. Righteousness of God. It is credited into your account. It is imputed to you. Number three. Justification empowers you to be sanctified. Right believing leads to right living. The moment you believe you are righteous, you have the ability to live a holy life. The only sin over which you have power over is the sin that is forgiven. So when you know you are forgiven by God, it sets you free from the power of that sin. So justification enables sanctification. Number four. Romans chapter 4, verse 6 and 7 says, Just as David also describes the blessedness, everyone say blessedness, of the man to whom God imputes righteousness, God gives righteousness apart from works, meaning works are not included. God gives you righteousness as a gift. The one who receives righteousness as a gift. Verse 7, blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven. Who are these people? The ones who believe in Jesus. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord shall not impute sin. Number four, you are blessed. Justification means that you are in a state called blessedness. We are in the state of Nagaland today. So when you are declared righteous by God, in the spiritual realm, you are in the state of blessedness. Don't look at your life to determine whether you are blessed or not. You are blessed because you are in Christ. See Christ every day. Thank God for your blessings every day. Don't be discouraged. Many times I send, people are so discouraged about their life, heading in the right direction, complaining and grumbling. That's where the teachings are not seeping into the heart. Amen. You are in the state of blessedness. Every day you are in the place called blessedness. If you will believe that, the blessings will begin to show. It's all about your faith. You are in the state called blessedness. In the spirit realm, you are already blessed. It's been declared over your life. And number five. Romans chapter 8 verse 30. Romans chapter 8 verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. Who are these ones? Us, believers. We've been called, predestined before. And now when we answer the call, we are justified. Whom he justified, these he also glorified. What does it mean? It means that you are Secure. Secure forever. You will not lose your salvation. Why? The Bible says those who are justified will also see glory. If you have truly believed 
and God has declared you righteous, it means you will see glory. You will be glorified. Bible says you're already glorified. In other words, there's no way you can fall back into darkness. You are secure. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are secure. Forever. Amen. You see, the power of justification from the blood of Jesus Christ is not fickle. Powerful one day, not powerful the other. Right? So sometimes we are saved, sometimes we are lost. That's how people treat the power of the blood of Jesus. Revival time, we are saved. Politics time, we are not saved. Let's get saved again. One day going to heaven, the other day going to hell. I mean, the power of the blood of Jesus is so powerless. No. We're secure forever. What the blood has achieved, it has achieved forever. It's not a temporal achievement. It's a permanent, eternal achievement. Can you say amen? Amen. Hallelujah. So the question now is, how do you want to be justified? By your works or by your faith in Jesus? If you have been blessed through this podcast, we invite you to partner with us in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ from Nagaland to the nations. We make all our series available for free, but it does cost us time, effort, and money to do it. So the support of people such as you will enable us to reach more people in more regions. Remember, when you give, the Word of God says in 2 Corinthians 9.8 that God is able to make all grace abound towards you. And you, always having all sufficiency, all things, may have an abundance of every good work. If you would like to support our media ministry on a monthly basis or through a one-time gift, kindly write to us at faithharvestnagaland at gmail.com and visit our website www.faithharvest.in and you can go to the giving section. You can also give through this UPI ID 700-568-4533 at Paytm. God bless you and thank you so much for your generosity.